Well, hi there. Welcome back to the My Love of Golf podcast. Today is a very special interview with Linda Harto. Now, Linda Harto from Harto.com. That is Linda's website where you can check out her wonderful work. What is Linda's wonderful work that I'm talking about? Painting some of the greatest golf landscapes and holes that you could ever imagine seeing. If you haven't seen some of the greatest golf holes in the world, we're pretty sure Linda has, and she sat down and studied it. So this story today tells the journey of one of the great golf artists in the world and how she goes about creating some of the scenes, some of the paintings that she has been able to paint. Linda has painted US Open holes for over 25 years and sold her work year in, year out at US Opens. She's painted for the Ryder Cup. She has painted for the Open. She's even provided her very own Open winner, Ian Baker Finch, with an artwork. And today's episode, we talk about how Linda gets to do all of that and some of the journeys that she's had, some of the people that she's met. And for me, it was just interesting exploring the creative mindset because uh, yeah, I just enjoy talking to people who have this creative background. And Linda is certainly one of those inspirational artists that you can discover in the world of online golf. And that's why we're here. We're talking about golf. We're talking about about our love of golf and today we discover Linda's love of golf more so her love of painting and how she's been able to channel her love of painting in and around the world of golf what a great way to make a living what a great way to live your life enjoy the chat with Linda check out her website and you can even check out her world of NFTs yes she's turning her own artworks into NFT non-fungible tokens in the crypto world amazing stuff it is a back catalogue of work that's amazing harto h-a-r-t-o-u-g-h dot com check it out and enjoy this episode with Linda more episodes coming with great people in the world of golf thanks for joining us Linda Harto, welcome to the My Love of Golf podcast, all the way from over near Hilton Head in South Carolina in the United States. Linda, good evening where you are, good morning where I am. How are you? I am fine. It's wonderful to be with you. Thank you for joining us. Now, you're a very special guest because you do some very special work, and it's an area of interest for a number of us uh, lovers of golf, and mm-hmm. you're, you're in that art space now now i love a bit of photography but I, i've never dabbled in painting and your catalog of work is unbelievable it's very extensive it's covered a number of the golf courses that i think most of us dream of visiting and yeah. then, and then dream of having you know beautiful works hanging on the wall behind in our little golf studios you know you can see a couple of works that i have here in the video behind us um yes, I see. so mm-hmm. you know i like to start with asking you you know, this, this podcast called My Love of Golf and, and My Love of Golf is really about understanding your love of golf. As an mm-hmm. artist, what, what is your love of golf, Linda? Well, first, my first love, of course, is painting. And my second love is painting landscape. So it didn't take a whole lot to transfer that to the world of golf because that's some of the best landscape in the world, really. It's varied and beautiful. And, and I just happened to fall into the golf um, genre, we'll call it, in art, uh, because of Augusta National. Uh, they liked my landscapes, and they wanted to know if I could do a golf course. And this was in 1984, and I said, sure. <laughs> so, so up until that time, you hadn't really turned so much attention to golf, is that correct? Well, yes and no. I mean, my father was an avid golfer all his life. Uh, I remember it all my life. We had went to country clubs and all that. And then I took some lessons and played a little golf. But basically, I was 
you know, art was my thing. I spent most of my time doing that. And when I played golf, it was like what I visualized didn't happen. So I thought, you know, I really don't need this in my life. <laughs> it's a discipline. I saw that right off. And I already had a discipline. I mean, how many disciplines can you do in your life, you know? Well. But you can appreciate it on that level. And I've always appreciated golf on that level. I'd love to watch it. I guess I'm what you call an avid watcher and studier of the history. And every course I go to, I want to know all its history. And I like to um, explore the whole course. And especially if I go to Scotland or someplace like that, I stay there for a while and really absorb the character. Well, given the extensive catalog of courses that you visit to, I'm sure that we can talk mm-hmm. a lot a lot about that history mm-hmm. and those experiences. How did you know you become such an accomplished and uh, and highly regarded artist? You know, when did when did this passion for art start? I'll, and give you a better background than me. I, I love art. I love photography. Uh, I, I like to think that I can see the golf course in a way that through a lens makes it appealing and and. It's different, but but I I know for me when that interest started, and it was back in my formative years as a as a kid. Um, when did art start for you, and how did it start? And you know a little bit of history about Linda Harto. Well, it's it's my earliest memories, really. I mean, I think I was just born doing it, and I didn't realize it was unique until I was around six years old, and people started telling me that 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 was, you know, they would admire what I was doing or say, gee, that's really different or, you know, that's really great. So it was then that I finally defined myself as an artist. I didn't know, you know, I didn't know everybody couldn't do that. Mm. (laughs) You know, it was just something I did instinctively. So, yeah, it was there in the beginning. And it definitely... Once I acknowledged it and I told myself that's who I was, it really guided the rest of my life. And all the decisions I made from then on were based around that. So, and, yeah, it was my life. And that's that's <laughs> always been your career as an artist. You're, yes. You're, yeah. Yes. Yes, I went to um, different schools. I went to finish at the Art Institute of Chicago. I did not continue with a master's because I did not want to teach. I just wanted to paint. So that's what I did. (laughs) I made it work. I made a living from it from the beginning. When I was in art school, I copied paintings at the Art Institute for people. And I also did illustration for a number of magazines and and local newspapers. And... um, then from after school, I went right into doing art fairs, which there are many, many good art fairs around Chicago and the suburbs. And, you know, I just learned how to paint for people, basically. I, I had to paint things I liked. And also I was trying to paint to please them. And I just developed a really good sense of what people wanted and Fortunately, it was things I wanted to do too. So, it's an in- interesting point you raise there, and I'm not an artist, but I could imagine the 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 time when you can get to painting things that you like versus the painting things and creating things that other people want you to paint for them. It's a compromise. 
compromised. Yeah. Is that is that a you know when you can make that? Okay, it's okay. Compromise, as long as I like doing it, it's okay. Yeah. I have to say, when I left the art institute, I left art for art's sake. You can't make a living off art for art's sake. Yeah. Okay. That's that's the point, right? Very very difficult. And since I wasn't born into the Wyeth family, uh, I had to make it on my own. So I, I did a lot of landscape and Americana scenes, which I dearly loved myself. And I loved just traveling out in the country and finding subject matter. And fortunately in the seventies, which was most of the time I was doing art fairs, um, that was a very popular subject. So I did very well. How, as an artist, what are what are the now we're not this isn't about trying to turn all of the listeners here into artists you know but I do know that a lot of the listeners are very interested in golf architecture and the, in the design and and all the nuance that goes with golf architecture the shapes the forms the landforms the lightfall yeah. and all of that sort of thing and I think yeah many you know from a photographic sense one you know certainly with the the advent of the digital camera which everyone can take a photo now and, and try and capture you know what you can see and you can create in your own camera internally i guess what yes. are the, what, what are the key things to look at when you know, you're capturing a landscape and, and and when you're painting that how how do you describe that how if you were if someone asked you Help me paint better. Help me create a painting. Help me create a vision. How, what would you say the essential things are to, to look for? Well, I've always, and I've always done work from photo reference. I mm -hmm. have to say that up front. I learned to do that back when I was doing art fairs because I'd go out and search the countryside. And, and when you do that, you sort of develop a sense of all the different elements. Like say you, you're in a place, you know, not necessarily one scene, but you're in a place and you want to capture everything about that place. So you start picking up on elements that, that you think are important. And so because of that approach, I always tended to take multiple even uh, perspectives of one scene and just absorb every angle of it, basically. And I would use, or in the early days, I carried two cameras with me and lots of film. <laughs> and I would photograph overall compositions. And then I would take a telephoto and I would take maybe 20, 30 shots of that same scene in 300 millimeter. Wow. So you have like every single piece of that whole, they're like a jigsaw puzzle. And when you do that, when you zoom into those areas, you know, you're not losing the detail. Whereas if you do one overall shot, you can't see what's in the shadow. You have no idea the depth perception, the perspective or anything. So then, so, then you have to then recreate that. And with all the knowledge right. of all of those different angles and scenes yep. and positions, then, then you can say, you know, cause then when you translate in, into the dimension that you paint from, you know, you know, that under that tree is a seat, which this photo can't see, but I know that I've been over there and, but you can put that in. Yeah. And it, it, it's like, you know, if there's a, an animal that comes in the scene, you know, I could take him, I can, a particular bird or I just, it's like you take this whole huge 
jigsaw puzzle of elements. And then when I get back to the studio, I put them all out and I figure out, well, I really like that. I like that piece. I like that. I like that. And then you put it all together. (laughs) So any, none of my paintings have one shot that shows the whole, shows the whole shows what, what the end of, uh, interesting i i yeah. think a lot of the listeners here and I, I don't know the age demographic exactly of people who will listen to this but i know that there we have some younger listeners and i know we have some some okay. listeners my age and above that but mm-hmm. you know i did art at school and you know hence my i guess i guess uh, how'd you say a little bit more elevated interest in 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 art than mm-hmm. than people who didn't do art i think I, if i'm honest um I did three unit art. So we have in our final leaving certificate at school, we have units, two units is considered a subject. If you want to be advanced in that, you do three units. I did three units basically as a way of not having to do science or maths. Um, (laughs) But but it still gave me enough of a reference to have some level of interest in in art. But I do distinctly remember my art teacher saying, Ross, um, you, you don't have a great reference for color and the way that light and shadow fall in a in a painting sense but you've got a very good uh, good vision for perspective and that was back in the 80s and we were walking around the school with the camera taking photos of angles and doing i guess a, a lot of what you described there taking different reference points and then producing the film in the dark room and all of that sort of stuff that you meant a lot of people don't understand what that's like and the amount no. of effort and work that goes into doing that especially these days yeah <laughs> So how do you how do you see it between you know that traditional way of working back through the eighties and nineties when you started versus now versus the digital age? Well, I I switched to digital, kicking and screaming basically. But one of the reasons I did was because the films got so bad. All the good films disappeared, and the kind of film I was using back in the eighties and nineties um, had a vast value range. And then when films got popular for people and it was more about color saturation, when you get color saturation, you lose all the mid-tones. Well, I didn't care about color. I wanted all the (laughs) mid-tones. I wanted as much detail as possible. And I kept switching films, trying to find, um, you know, films that would capture that. And it got so bad. I was using portrait film there at the end it was bare color or something and i finally said okay i've got to go to digital <laughs> so i switched to digital and it took a little you know but then i realized wow i can take so many more pictures mm-hmm. so many more parts so- uh you know thousands of pictures and it's like oh it's not film that you're burning and you don't have to develop it and all that so yeah, i liked it after a while have you moved to the um, the digital editing part of the of your photos before you reproduce them as an artwork? Do you? Not really. Yeah. No, I'll print, I'll print out the ones after I study it for a long time. I study those pictures for a very long time before I decide which ones I'm going to print to do the painting from. Mm-hmm. But um, I'll print a lot. Of and mostly detail shots tons of little detail shots but um it's a little harder to digest them all without having them right in front of you but i put i print out everything that i think i might use Hmm. and then i edit from there but before i put anything on the canvas i have to visualize the painting completely finished does that come to you or does that 
just happen automatically? It, is it is it something you know? Do you do you ponder it's on? It's a an process. Image? Yeah. Okay. It's a process. It, it's the it's the process of digesting all those bits and pieces and deciding what elements I want in that painting and how I want it to be seen. What angle? What do I want to show off in there? What parts will tell you where you are? You know, uh, all those all those different things. Parts I find just exciting by painterly parts. <laughs> just how great the, I can find a sky that goes with it. If it isn't one there, I have a whole huge box of cloud pictures. <laughs> Most yeah. of them are from Scotland. Yeah. And, you know, I'll match a sky with a composition. Because a lot of times, and most of the time, the sky isn't wonderful. That's a, that, I guess that's with that my interest in in photography. You know, one thing in that I, you know, frustrated me in recent times. You know, in Scotland in July, it seemed to be every time that I went to take a photo in the morning. You know, trying to get the sun coming in a certain, there was no sun. There was no sun. The, the day that I wasn't planning yeah. to take a photo, there was sun. But, you know, the days that I was there, it was always a little grey. And it's, it was really frustrating, especially yeah. when I look when I look back now. And, you know, I don't have that reference that you're talking about. Interesting. Well, every time I went to Scotland or England or Ireland, I'd schedule at least one week at every course mm. because of the weather, yeah. basically. And um, and I usually never went midsummer. I always went after August, September, even into October. We'll talk I like the angle of the light, the color of the light is much prettier. Uh, you've just you've just made me think about a certain situation I'll talk about in a second. Um, we So we've uncovered now that doing this wonderful work that you do, I can see it in the background there and you can see it online. You know, your, your website is an absolute artwork in itself because, you know, you have all of the digital representations of many of the works that you've created. I'm sure, I'm sure it's not the entire catalog, but you know, you can see there and it's very clearly mm -hmm. and easily set out in the U S courses, the great Britain and Ireland courses and some other feature courses like Augusta, et cetera. Yeah. You know, we've, we've ascertained that this is a, detailed and long process to get to what you create and what you can see there on your website there. Yeah. Let's talk about, let's talk about the journey of some of the destinations. Now, you know, you mentioned there right at the start that Augusta was really one of the, the, um, courses. And it was key, I would say to get me into the golf world. And I, I worked for them for several years before I had a connection with someone in Scotland who, um, had a business over there. He was a um, sporting antiques person. And he had a shop in Troon, old Troon sporting antiques. And we got together, uh, I guess it was about, well, about in 1988 after a PGA show where I had exhibited a few prints that I had done of Augusta. And uh, he was really instrumental to getting me over to Scotland. I went over there for the first time in 88. And I started painting some Scottish courses, but at the same time, I'm still doing commissions in, a, in a, the U.S. from references from Augusta, like I did the Country Club and I did Lake Nona. I mean, just through my association with Augusta, I had lots of people that were wanting paintings. And I went to a PGA show. The first one I went to was in 1988, and I realized... <laughs> 
there wasn't anybody doing good on golf art at all. At all. Yeah. At all. So I thought, oh, <laughs> you know, and I had never even printed my work until I went to Augusta. And they printed it at a, a local commercial printer. So I didn't even know anything about printing then. So I had to learn that too. I had to learn fine art printing because commercial printing is is terrible, mm. you know, as far as longevity. All those first prints from Augusta, I'm sure they've all turned blue by now because they were done, you know, on really uh, cheap commercial printers. Uh, that is that is something I've learned is in, on the paper that you print your image, um, you know, there is grades of paper and, you know, there are grades, gra of, inks. grades of inks and, you know, mm -hmm. these digital printers can print the different inks, the different papers. And, yep. you know, one, one of the images that I have here on my wall, which I took myself is on a, a grade of paper, which you would see in, in a museum and the base of the yeah. printer said, this will last for as long as, as long as a paper can last and the inks can last, this is, this will last that long. Um, well, I had to learn that and back in 1988, you didn't have digital printing at imagine. all. Yeah. It was all, uh, you know, you did it with um, color separations. You printed two colors at a time on a big press. I mean, it was completely different. And so I had, so I learned it from that stage all the way through digital and all the different generations of that, because the first generations of digital weren't so great either. My first job was 89 and I worked in an advertising agency and we used to make the brochures. And, uh, you know, when I forward, fast forward my career in marketing departments at, you know, big brands and whatever, working with some of the younger colleagues and they were making brochures and I was saying, you know how we used to do these? And... And they'd look at it and say, well, how, Ross? Um, and say, well, you know, we'd take a photo. It'd print off a, a black and white image. Uh, we would color, cut it out, glue it, stick it onto the page, um, right. take the photo of the of the thing that was being photoed for the brochure, print that out, stick it on the page with a knife and, and, and a glue machine and lay it out onto the size and then take that away and be photoed and make printing presses. And, then, and they'd, they'd look at me going, what are you talking about? <laughs> it's like... I know. I mean, it was like typesetting. You had to order typesetting yeah. separately from a different company. All, all I mean, it was incredible. And, uh, you know, I learned all that. And, and uh, the guy that I use now to do all my prints, uh, which I've been working with since 1994, he came from that tradition, too. So we, we really know how to make a good print yeah. between the two of us. Let's go back to the Augusta part. How did... Okay. Did the phone the the phone call come? How did you can get that connection with Augusta? Uh, there was a person there, um, Frank Christian Jr. He was sort of the club photographer, and he was in Hilton Head, and he saw my paintings at a gallery in Hilton Head. I I had moved from Chicago to this area in 1980, so I used this gallery on Hilton Head to exhibit some of my paintings. So he saw him there and he told the pros at Augusta, they were looking for an artist to do some paintings for that they could make prints and sell at the masters. And I mean, back then in Augusta, the masters, they had one little pro shop, you know, the main pro shop in the, in the club and they had a few huts out, but they didn't have anything merchandising like like you see now. I mean, it wasn't even close. So it was just their idea to do it. And I let them make the prints and, you know, they all sold out. So it was quite a success. I did the 13th hole. That was the first one I did. 
And then I did the 16th hole in 87. In 88, I did the 18th hole. And then I started working for a lot of different clubs. And, and did, then I went to Scotland. <laughs> do, just on Augusta, do you have a favorite hole? Like as golfers, we all have favorite holes, favorite sections of the course. That we I've never been to Augusta. Uh, it's on the bucket list. Uh, I, a lot of my friends have been, uh, not me. But they all have certain points and parts of the course that's favorite. Do you have a favorite as an artist? Uh, yeah, yeah. I mean, you could tell by my the paintings that I've done. Yeah. Of course, Amen Corner. You know, there's so many parts of it. Twelve. 11, 12, and 13 is just very magical. Yeah. But there's a lot of places, the 16th, um, yeah. and some of the ones on the front nine, but nobody's that familiar with the front nine, so they all want the real famous scenes. So I've done many different versions of 12. I painted 13 about five, six times. So, you know, I've done probably about 25 paintings of Augusta, but only a certain number of holes. Uh, I like I like the painting that you have there. Uh, I like them all. Um, just to put that out there, I like the one on the 18th with the uh, the big tree. I'm not sure what type of tree it is. Yeah, the big tree. Uh, and I think um, probably a few golfers um, that might have been in contention coming yeah. up that hole don't like that that tree. I've had a number of people say, "Yeah, my ball was right there," <laughs> <laughs> yeah. uh, but it wasn't a popular scene as far as a lot of the others i did that one just because i wanted to do that tree and i mean basically that's a portrait of the tree hmm. with augusta in the background but I, I love it because i love trees and the tree shapes and you know we have oh, a, I love trees. we have a golf love we have a golf course here in melbourne uh, melbourne sandbelt uh quite a famous Thanks. golfing area uh, metropolitan and metropolitan have a beautiful tree at the front of the golf club. And I, for me, every time I go there, I just take a photo of that tree and the, and the clubhouse, which is also architecturally beautiful, is just a somewhat bouquet out in the background, but the tree is the focus. And it's just such a beautiful tree and makes a really nice photo. Um, so that's Well, probably... I, I specialize in trees. So if there's any great trees on a course, you better know I'm gonna know it. They may make their way into the painting. <laughs> there you go, I'll, I'll send you a picture of the metropolitan tree. You probably already have it. Let's talk about uh, Scotland. You know, my listeners know my connection to Scotland. You know, I'm a son of Scottish migrants, so I'm half Scottish, half Australian. Have two passports. I love going there. I'm married to a girl from Edinburgh, so we're very, very close to our Scottish roots, and we love going there. We just come back from there in July. We went to the Open, travelled around a bit. What's your connection to Scotland? And imagine you've got some great stories, not only of the golf courses that you've had the opportunity to sit on and paint and, and digest over those weeks. As you said, you go there for a week. Uh, what a great what a great opportunity to sit there and just digest a golf course for a week. There must be so many people you've met, met places you've yeah. been. What, when, you, when you think of Scotland emotionally, what comes out? Oof, weather. <laughs> oh, <okay>. No. <laughs> No, I, I, it's just so rough and natural, and yet you have this unbelievable sense of history you just don't feel anywhere else. I think uh, it was part of an epiphany for me to go there just to experience that. I was experiencing it, but I didn't. I couldn't quite understand what I was experiencing. But when you walk on the old course or or all these fabulous courses, there's something there, intangible, that you sense. And I, I couldn't really get it until I read this book, Golf in the Kingdom. Mm -hmm. You know that book? Yeah, I'm currently halfway through reading it. Yep. 
Well, that did it to me. Once, once I read that book, I went, I understood what it was. It was the metaphysical side of golf, which comes through so strong over there. Not so much here, but really over there, it's like just part of the landscape somehow. And from then on, I, up to that point, I, it, there was a few paintings I did that had people in it, golfers. They all disappeared. I never put another person in the painting again. And, and it was like, I wanted you to tune into that. And putting people in there, golfers, it distracted. So I wouldn't put anything in there that distracted from that feeling. So most of my paintings try to capture that. You mentioned uh, Troon. Now, mm-hmm. Esh is not a, it's not a part of Scotland I've spent heaps of time in, but I have spent a little bit of time in there. I haven't played Troon, but I did go for dinner there one night, um, 2016, and we had dinner at Troon. And then as the sun was going down, obviously uh, summer, it's late, it's 10 o'clock, uh, our hosts um, who were from the industry said, let's go for a walk out to the lighthouse. And not only does the golf course have so much history, but when you get to that lighthouse and just what's over that cliff, in terms of Scottish history, um, there's You're a- You're talking about Turnbury, sorry, not true. In Turnbury, sorry. Yes. yes. Thanks. For, thanks for that. I was going to say, where is that lighthouse? I was, no, I was, stay, I was staying. I was staying in Troon, but uh, we're talking. Okay. I'm talking. Yes, of course, I'm talking about Turnbury. And you get to the lighthouse, and you know, you look over into um, towards Alsa Crag and out towards uh, you know all of that. Castle ruins right there. What tell us? You know, and you've painted it. You know, tell us about the, the history of of what happens there and what that castle ruin is all about. Oh, well, that's just another example of what I was saying and how you get that unbelievable sense of time uh, or timelessness or whatever when you see elements like that. That's really exciting for me to, you know, I want that in the painting. (laughs) You know, any way I can get it in there, I'm going to get it in there because it's, it's just that's, that's what it feels like when you're there. And, and your painting that you've created that year can almost get the sense of, you know, Robert the Bruce, you know, mm-hmm. h- h- hiding out there from the English. You know, he was he was chased by, by right. you know, he was one of the founding fathers of Scotland and what we know of it, right. Robert the Bruce and William Wallace and all of that sort of history there. And I don't know it in, yeah. in super detail, but, you know, you, you can almost get the sense of Robert the Bruce in that little clifftop castle ruins right. there. So it's, it's a very historical part of... of uh, you Scottish know, I history. really like the way... In Scotland, too, Scotland, golf is part of every day now. Mm. You know, it's part of the landscape everywhere. It's in the town. Every town has its own municipal course. They have ladies' courses and, you know, all the putting courses and all all these ways that it's just accommodated into day-to-day life. And most of the uh, course architecture, so to speak, is completely natural it's just landscape the way it was always so and i love that i can imagine that would be as a your origins as a landscape artist being that it is so natural and so you yeah. know the, the architecture is derived by the landform um that that mm-hmm. would be very appealing to you yeah definitely in terms of the courses that you've been to in Scotland, you know, and your painting catalogue there is is extensive. What what have been some of the favourites? You know, what what's been the most enjoyable to sit there for that week and and recreate? Well, Royal Darnock was very special. Hmm. That one really makes your hair stand on end when you're out there. And and I, we, my husband and I had a wonderful experience there. We we spent a number of days there, and and of course because it gets dark so late, you know. We were out on the course. I like to take pictures late in the afternoon, pretty much. 
and or evening in that case. And I remember that there was supposed to be a bagpipe band concert in the town square that night. But we were out all the way on the 10th hole, <laughs> which is as far as you can get. And the concert started while we were out there. And that sound coming over the hills was just unbelievable. Mm. And we followed it all the way in as the light faded. And we ended up right at the town center when the concert ended. And it was just such a special experience. Uh, it's hard to recreate that. And it sort of gives me little tingles just hearing that because I know what the bagpipes do to me. Uh, they, be very, yeah. they, they make me very emotional, the bagpipes. Um, yeah, me too, really. Uh, so, yeah, that was very special. I had a special time at St. Andrews. The first time I went there, um, my agent, Bob Pringle, uh, from Old Train Sporting Antiques, he drove me all over Scotland first. <laughs> and we even did uh, fishing up near the Balmoral Castle and then came back down and he put me in a bed and breakfast right behind the scores in St. Andrews and left me there <laughs> for, right. a week for a week by myself. Yeah. So just no car, just, nothing. Just to orient everyone, the Scores Hotel is just basically behind the you know the the Royal and Ancient Clubhouse. So if you just go from the first tee, walk past the Royal and Ancient, uh, up the street that follows the water, Scores Hotel is just there. Yeah, well, it was right behind there. There was a little row of these little little bed and breakfast, El Chivos. But that's that's where I stayed for a week. But it was wonderful because I got to learn the town and all the little alleyways and just everything about the town, and plus spend a lot of time on the course. So, yeah. So being that being that the one the one fiftieth opens just been on. Uh, I don't think the golf world needs reminding, but it was won by an Australian, uh, Cameron Smith. Um, yes. Yeah. Well, I was I was I was there. It was fantastic. It was interesting to see so many people around there, and it doesn't take it didn't take away from the experience. You know, it was. No, it's fabulous uh, during the open. So many people there. there, but but that what you mentioned there before that sort of experience you get when you're there absorbed by the course i think it's i think it is better experience when there's no stands and and not many people around and you can go out and do what you want you know you going and doing what what you wanted and spending the time where you wanted you know there were a few parts of the course that you ended up preferring um did, did you did you like certain aspects yeah i liked most of it actually but but everybody wants certain scenes. It's again, it's like Augusta, you know, mm. if, if you did the 10th hole or you did anything out there on the course, if, if you couldn't see the town, you had no idea where it was. And yeah. I did one painting of the 14th and 4th, and it was, you know, looking over Hell Bunker with the town behind it. I loved that painting, but it wasn't really that popular. They all want what's right down, you know, 17, 18, Yep, and, yep. you know, that's just the way it is commercially. So then, you know, looking at the, the one that you have here from behind the first hole at St. Andrews, you know, looking back to the town and um, mm-hmm. time, in terms of time investment, you know, when, once you sit down with the canvas and on your easel, how long does that take to do? Well, depends on how much life gets in the way. But mm-hmm. generally, most paintings take from three to six months. And then there's production time. It has to have digital capture. We have to prove prints. And that can take another month. So if I do two or three a year, I'm doing good. That's a that's a fair investment in time. It is. Yeah. Well. And that, you know, that's time to travel to the course, 
getting all the material and, and doing the actual doing the painting, going into production and travel times, business stuff, you know, it all takes time. <laughs> so do you do any painting on site? You know, when you're in St. Andrews for a week, you know, are you painting? It's just absorbing the atmosphere, taking those visual references with the camera and then right. trying to put that into your, yeah. you know, mental stories there and bring that home to you and then recreate right. that. St. Andrews is, you know, is wonderful it is it isn't like you can just sit there <laughs> literally the first you have to like join a group if you want to go out on the course there's no place to get out of play hmm. you got players you got a course on both sides play on both sides and then solid play on the old course so unless it's sunday you have to literally join a group to walk out to get to where you want to go so it was a little constraining as far as that. You wouldn't want to be sitting there and trying to stay out of play. Doesn't work. It's just uh, it's just interesting to know to to know that it, that have to spend this amount of time there. This whole you know it's not a breeze in, breeze out. It's not like let's go by and here. It's and it's not only that. I mean, I can't tell you how many times I've gone to St. Anne's. Yeah. How many different yeah. years yeah. of photographs. And I will draw on them. Same with same with Augusta. I photographed Augusta since 1984, and, and I'll pull out pictures from that time if I'm looking for a particular detail. Have you met off the course? Uh, you know, when you're not being, you know, scouting the course for different images and, and location and that sort of thing. You know, have you had any great experiences with the people? You know, have you got some oh, yeah. met some friends and have have you had any funny things happen or anything? You know, the, 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 I don't think you can talk to anyone about Scotland. They haven't met someone in a bar or had dinner with someone or something like that. Oh, yeah. Have you got any stories uh, like that? Yeah. There's a lot of stories, <laughs> any, but you can share one. Well, you know, being female, uh, you're not exact, especially back in the '80s and early '90s. You weren't exactly uh, invited into most of the clubhouses my agent uh bob was a member of the rna and when he left me in st andrews when he came to pick me up he arranged to have a midnight tour of the rna he knew the night watchman so he took me in there and I, we went everywhere in that whole <laughs> and that was of course you know not done mm. but i had a lot of experiences like that where someone would just take me in and say she's coming in Right. <laughs> yeah. I went. Into, I was in Pine Valley. Uh, Ernie Ransom took me into the clubhouse at Pine Valley. That's not done back then. That was in the early '90s. You, you women did not set foot in that clubhouse. Same way with parts of Wingfoot and Muirfield, <laughs> and you know some of the British clubs. Troon. You couldn't go into Troon as a female. Did you paint Muirfield at a time when women members were excluded? Were were not permitted? Yeah. Yeah. yeah, it was, it was uh, 90, 92, 93. And I met this gentleman who's a member there, Archie Baird. You ever heard of him? Uh, the, uh, he was also the great he was historian. A historian. Yeah, yeah. 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 Passed, yeah. passed away uh, last yes. year. Yes, yes. I've never met him. Uh, I'll, I'll, yeah. He took me into the Gullen Clubhouse mm -hmm. and into the men's locker room <laughs> because there were some watercolors there he wanted me to see. So, yeah, I had a lot of experiences like that. Hmm. You know, I got to go to a lot of places. And I think the golf people in, are just a wonderful group of people in general, everywhere. And it's a very small world. I mean, you can be in Ireland and you can actually see somebody you know, or they know somebody that you know through the different clubs. 
Yeah. Yep. So it, it's really a very small world. I had a great experience in Ireland. I also love Ireland. My my wife is mm-hmm. from an Irish family. She's born and raised in Scot- Scotland, but her parents were Irish. So we've got a great connection through the family to our west coast of mm-hmm. Ireland. Um, oh, I was uh, I was over there just by myself um, for five days, staying at La Hinch. Uh, travelled mm-hmm. travel down to Tralee, asked the gentleman, uh, he said, you're off first. I said, look, can I play with some of these people that are playing behind me? There's surely I'm a bit over my own company. And there was a father and daughter playing. They were from America. Uh, we got to know mm-hmm. each other. Have you been to America, Ross? Yes, I was there in 1987. Where did you go? I went to Palm Springs. Oh, interesting. My dad's from Palm Springs. There he is over there. Let's talk to yeah, him. And um, not only was he from Palm Springs, he was the best friend or the golfing friend from Mission Hills of the fam- yeah. of the father of the family that I stayed with. And here we are in the deepest southwest yeah. of Ireland and I'm playing with the friend of the family that I stayed with in 1987. It was just uncanny. It was just uncanny. No, yeah. we, we couldn't believe it. But uh, I have a lot of connections like that. And uh, it's just amazing who you run into when you're out of these courses. And since when I'm at a course, I spend a good bit of time on maybe one hole because I'm trying to photograph it. So everybody that comes through, you know, there's a conversation yeah, yeah. <laughs> and they want to know what are you doing and blah, blah, blah. And, and then you start talking and you have these relationships that you find out that you have. It's really fascinating. Uh, favorite course in Ireland that you visited? Um, Valley Bunyan, Taipan. I visited all the rest of them. I really loved, uh, oh, what's the one down and all the way at the bottom? Can, uh, old, he- old Head of Kinsale? No, no, no. The bottom of the Ring of Kerry. Dingle? Dingle? Past that. All the way down at the bottom. Oh, I don't know. I don't... Oh, God, I can't think of it right now. But that, that place. Is... Waterville? Waterville. 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 Yeah. Waterville. Waterville. That was incredible. But I didn't get to paint that. Um, I photographed it, but it was really so windy it was really hard to even get any reference you, you mentioned Bally Bunyan we, at my club where I play golf in in Melbourne uh, we have the former captain of Bally Bunyan as a member you probably met him Joe Gearin um, anyway that's a that's another story but uh, he was a captain at Bally Bunyan and you probably you probably right. if you were there back in in the ni- 90s you probably cross paths uh, with uh, Joe there you go yeah I was there in 2002 actually okay take pictures and also i went all the way down and around the ring of carrier waterville and then drove up to um royal county down spent a week there and that's one of my favorite paintings i've ever done is royal county down which uh ninth hole the ninth hole yeah looking back to the to the um the mountains there it's pretty famous scene with the beautiful clubhouse there and yep. uh, yeah it's, once again a course i haven't played uh it's on the bucket list and i will definitely get there one day and yeah the, be- the beauty about the work that you do it, it gives people like me reason and inspiration to want to go and see see that and and to know that you've seen it through your eyes and recreated it in a in a painted form is um yeah it gives gives me that little bit more inspiration to go there and see it with my own eyes getting getting back to home you know, what are the things that you love about painting some of the American courses? You know, I see you've got some great um, uh, recommendations, you know, the, from the Trent Jones family there and so on and so forth. Mm-hmm. What, what are some of the things that you love about being at home and, and painting at home? Well, again, it's all the different uh, kind of uh, landscape, like between Pebble Beach and like Hilton Head and the marsh scenes and the low country where I live here. And then, you know, I love uh, Shinnecock. Shinnecock actually reminds me of 
Scotland or, and um, Augusta is uh, just completely in a class by itself. It's otherworldly. And uh, yeah, there's so many great American courses. Of course, I, I did 25 years of US Opens. So I went to a lot of them. <laughs> so did you go to the US Open and photograph at the US Open? Yeah, no, I went the year before. Okay, so you would paint the U.S. Open course coming up. Yes, okay. Well, yeah, I, can, I, I had to stay a year ahead because I had to produce a print. Yeah. And then I had to work at the actual tournament to sell prints, just yeah. being there merchandising. You know, I had to be there and merchandise, too. I merchand worked in the merchandise at Augusta at U.S. Open every year. And I did, I did a couple of open championships. I did one Ryder Cup, and I did the one at, at the country club. Um, so, yeah, that's another part. It's, it's <laughs> an, amazing, an amazing catalog of American courses you have here, you know, like once again, places that we'll probably never get to see in a golfing sense, but Seminole, Succession, Aronimink, Beth Page, you know, like. Yeah, I do a lot of private commissions now for club, and uh, I pretty much quit doing um, tournament golf. Mm -hmm. yeah. And I don't know, I do ones for private individuals too. I mean, I'm working on one right now for just for a private person um i do like even for um companies like rsm i did three paintings for them because they sponsored the the tournament on sea island and i did a bunch of prints for them just for their client you know all kinds of things like that corporate packages but i, I stopped doing tournament golf in 2014 that was my 25th us open and i thought that's a good time to stop <laughs> and I, I i'm enjoying now spending more time just not having to travel not having to merchandise so much and just doing private commissions and smaller projects i can imagine you've got enough reference material to keep you busy for for a long time <laughs> I have a whole room above me that is nothing but photographs from taken since the 80s. What will happen with those photographs? After I'm gone, I'd probably get dumped. <laughs> there, none of them are worth much as photographs. They're all pieces. You know, they're just bits and pieces, of course. I, you know, oh. for me sitting here listening to you talk and knowing what it takes to create what you create, I think those, mm -hmm. I think those you know photographs sort of gel in to get together. As someone who loves a photograph, I, I could really imagine that um, you know if you had an exhibition, uh, you know, you could have one side of one side of the art gallery with all of your photograph reference, and then the other side with your art reference. And I think people would be, I think anyway. Well, I don't, you know, when I take a photograph, I don't care about the quality of the photograph at all. Mm. In fact, I'll overexpose or underexpose. Yep. Just get the detail that I want. So as a photograph, it looks like hell. You know, if you took it out by itself, they'd go, what the heck, you know? <laughs> I'd, love, I'd, I'd love to see some of those photographs that you took on film from back in the, when we were shooting on film and film cameras. I'd love to see some of those, just, just putting that well, out Well, if you ever come to Hilton Head, just let me know. Maybe, maybe I'll have to take you up on that one day. Um, okay. So what's the, what's the goal now? Is it, you know, is it mm -hmm. just a continual process of keeping... Yeah. You know, the Linda Hartor name, Hartor name out there and, you know, everyone's seeing it and going to the website and yeah. being able to buy the print. So if you're in some part of the world, you can jump onto your website and buy a print. Is that right? Right. right. Yeah. Yeah. And and uh, kind of a new venture I'm doing is I'm actually uh, just now launching a collection of NFTs of some of the original artwork. 
So I thought, well, heck, why not? You know, have this catalog that's endless. And it's just another way of uh, increasing and maybe bringing in some people that wouldn't ordinarily collect any kind of physical print, but maybe they want the digital NFT. Linda, <laughs> NFT, the digital currency. Um, yeah. You know, when did when did that evolve to, to, to you and say, well, I've got to start making NFTs? Oh, I guess about a year or so ago, someone mm. mentioned it and I thought, I didn't think much of it and I didn't know anything about crypto. Mm. So I kept asking around and it was like, nobody seemed to know anything about it. But I kept just researching and I uh, found this website that actually sold a course on cryptocurrency, the learning how, what it is, how to use it, you know, all the dangers, all the good parts. And what is an NFT? You know, I had a book, a big book of crypto. <laughs> I just had to learn it. And then I found this, this company, NFT Golf Shop, who specializes in golf NFTs. And I'm like, great. Let's go. And they, they because one of the things is you have to mint these Mm -hmm. uh, these things. And I couldn't do that. And I asked even my guy that does all my prints, he says, I can't go there. <laughs> it's a learning curve. It's too high. So I went with them and they're doing the merchandising and, you know, they're just about to launch on OpenSea through NFT Golf Shop. Plus you can, there's a reference on my website where you can link. NFT. But I just thought, you know, it's why not? You know, I had I had a website in 1997. Do you know how many people had a website then? Yeah, not many. None, <laughs> hardly. And uh, I just felt like, oh, this is a good thing. I have to learn about it. I have to I have to get into this. So. Well, it certainly it certainly is a thing. It's it's a growing uh, landscape of digital currency i'm certainly interested in it i'm not experienced in it and uh I, I can't wait to have a look and see so well it's fascinating it's a completely completely different world there's a huge learning curve there you have to learn from the right people yeah yeah you have to really be careful because it's still the wild wild west are the digital artworks that you're selling as an nft mm -hmm. exclusive to nft and they're not available as a print does that mean you you know if you buy right. something as an nft that's it you'll only ever see it as an nft and you won't be able to buy it to hang on the wall like this over here oh yeah you can uh, actually if you buy an nft you get a discount code you can use on the website and you can buy it okay so if you own the nft you you know you, we can yeah. you can print but but you're, you're not going to sell that nft as a standalone print for me to buy it you have to buy the nft to get that access to that digital product nfts are something that go in a digital wallet yeah the people don't necessarily want them on their wall they want to co they're collecting but they're collecting in a digital universe so they don't carry it around with them except for in their digital wallet <laughs> makes any sense i recently it, i recently got a digital wallet um as part of a colleague out here who was actually involved in the in the development of the internet space back in the 90s um mm -hmm. he's developed a product out here that's basically a scoring app and when you join the scoring app and, you know, it's got all the GPS technology that you want to, to use and plot your way around the course and keep your score on and, and have that on your phone, well, part of that, you open up a digital wallet. And then when you use the scoring app, um, you get yeah. you get little NFTs as on your journey. Mm -hmm. And then obviously, you know, in the future. There's we'll so many ways of using those NFTs and 
like all the there's a whole slew of golf companies on nft golf shop some of them are daos uh just groups uh some are uh, uh some kind of group that has playing privileges at different clubs it's endless but the, it's endless uh, but it's a way of growing the community to golf community so i look at it that way it's just an expansion of connecting with the golf community hopefully some younger people a golf club in the metaverse as a dao a golf club in the metaverse which you join and become a member of uh, yeah. is, a, is an interesting concept and what that opens up in terms of access to to a whole load yeah. of things you know like if you're a member of that golf club in the metaverse you know you, you don't have right. a physical golf course but you know it's quite possible that a golf course a physical golf course will then attach themselves to a dao golf course and then you get access wow. to that by, by having a membership at a metaverse golf club it's um right. buying merchandise in the metaverse it's it's crazy it's but uh i know it's weird. i mean you can populate your own little piece of property with my artwork on your digital walls you know <laughs> you could do anything with with the, those in a digital sense there you go. That black screen there, there's got nothing on it. That that couldn't be for the digital artwork there. I've got the uh, the print up there, the watercolor, the watercolor behind me from Mike Cocking, who's a golf architect. Well, maybe the digital artwork can go on that black screen there. There you <laughs> oh, go. <dear. laughs> yeah, it's really it's uh, it's kind of a neat world to to try to get into to try to understand. And I think everyone really needs to learn about it because I think it's definitely going to take over. Well, absolutely. It's it's going to um, keep evolving and keep growing. And the sooner you learn about it, the better. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Well, Linda, you've you've given me some more encouragement to go and learn about uh, the NFT space a little bit more. And I'm sure if uh, for the listeners that you know sat back and scratched their heads about um, cryptocurrency and whatever else, uh, they might be a little bit more forward thinking about it now. But yeah, as you say, it, it, it is here and it is a thing. And you know, the fact that we're selling beautiful artworks that you've created and spent hours and hours traveling the world, photos and photos, months and months to create, and then now you can get it in a cyber form and own it. Uh, that's, um, that's yeah, there's a lot on the website. There's even works in progress where you can see a painting in progress. We also, we have a newsletter email and we also have contests on uh guess the winners on the tournaments and you get a free print so we have a lot of interesting stuff on the on the website if you especially if you sign up for the emails you find out discounts so what what we can do is put your website in the notes for the podcast show but of course you know it's www.harto.com that's h-a-r-t-o-u-g-h.com and okay. your website there is it's it's a beautiful it's an artwork in itself put it that way um, oh, thank you i appreciate that very much and i appreciate the fact that you, you being so into art yourself were able to have a kind of a different discussion that i have with most people so I really appreciate that oh well as long as that is a positive and it was enjoyable for you uh, that's was, very positive you know, I just approach these things. If it's interesting to me, then someone who presses play is going, to, fi going to find it interesting. Maybe not everyone, but, you know, you as one of the great golf art artists of the world, um, I'm sure that uh, that is enough to have everyone uh, interested in your story and some of the journeys and some of the travels and just understanding that, you know, this beautiful artwork that you see and, some, and many admire um, a little bit more about yeah. what is I only wish it. I had gotten to Australia. Well, that to was paint some that... of the great courses there, but I you know, I was so busy in the 90s 
and 2000s with doing U.S. Opens in Augusta, and it just never, you know, I had some inquiries, but nothing ever really came of it. I even sold a painting to Ian Baker Finch back, way back. He bought the 91 Open Championship painting I did for that year that he won. So <laughs> I always thought I'd get there, but never did. It's not too late. Is it too late? Mm, maybe. <laughs> <laughs> what about then? Traveling is really difficult now. Yeah. I'm not into traveling much anymore. I'm not saying I wouldn't work with a photographer. Mm-hmm. I have photographers that I know in Scotland that we think alike, and I've known them for a long time. Mm-hmm. And I would work with him on anything over there at this point because he knows how I work. I'm not saying if I could find somebody in in Australia that I felt like I could work with that understood the way I looked at a whole, I could do it. When you think about the golf courses of the world and the ones in, in Australia, is there one that you would think about yeah. doing? Is there one that got away, so to speak, that you know, hasn't got away yet? But, you know, the Mackenzie one, yeah. you know. Royal Melbourne, yep. Royal, what's, what's the other one? There's a couple, there's a... Yeah, so there's Royal Melbourne, Royal Melbourne, Royal Melbourne West in particular. Yeah. Uh, Mackenzie's influence, you know, extends across uh, Kingston Heath and, and Victoria. Uh-huh. And, and basically, you know, his his legacy is dotted all around the sandbelt. Um, they're all yeah. they're all beautiful golf courses. There There is another, yeah. I'm going to send you some pictures of um, my course okay. called Peninsula Kingswood. I think, I think um, artistically, in terms of the way it represents, in terms of the landfall, the land shapes and, and the modern form of um, sandbelt architecture it's it is a very very creatively uh, interesting course um, I'll send you a picture yeah, I love the forms of the natural landscape that yeah. I see and the photographs and and you know they've had tournaments uh, I guess they have the, they have at Royal Melbourne they had a President's Cup we had the President's yeah, Cup a couple of years yeah I was like glued to the TV set <coughs> excuse me looking at <laughs> hang on a second that was I I love just watching it and i watch all the golf tournaments it's been an absolute treat to be able to talk to you and, and learn about your back catalog of work what you're up to now uh, especially in moving into that digital space um yeah. you know you are an artist of the highest regard you've seen more golf courses i think than many of the people that will listen could ever dream about visiting and it's been an absolute privilege to be able to uh, learn a little bit more about you and your work uh, and from well, thank you i really appreciated it and, and it's been a pleasure to talk to you about it thanks for joining the my love of golf podcast we'll uh, we'll see you next time. Next time.